Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Euro 2020 is here. The tournament nears and we are excited here at Kegolaso. We have reporters from the ground, of course, our very own James Bench and Jonathan Johnson uh, to join us on part one as we give you our favorites, the groups, the setting, our dark horses and so much more. Kegolaso Euro 2020 part one begins right now. You can follow and stream Kegolaso on Spotify. If you're listening on Spotify right now, go to the Kegolasso show page and hit the rectangle follow button so that we can give you new episodes where they're dropped every weekday. They'll be at the top of your feed. And if you're listening elsewhere or watching on YouTube, give Spotify a try and drop us a follow. Welcome, everybody, to our Euro 2020 preview part one. I am so excited to discuss the Euro 2020 championships. And with us, of course, reporting from the ground, reporting from the continent. First, we begin with James Bench. James Bench, how are you, my friend? It's been so long. Yeah, uh, I'm coming home. It's coming home. Welcome to the Euro 2020, baby. England, here we go. James Mensch looks wonderful, just like Phil Foden's hair. I am so excited. And of course, Jonathan Johnson as well. JJ, how are you, bud? Hey there, guys. Doing very well, thanks. And delighted to finally be on with uh, James Bench. It's been a while that I've been waiting for this to happen. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. It's our European, our English, our Peruvian. And yeah, Lisa Roman's on the line too. So she, you know, we'll have the American taster, but this is it. It's the first time us three are together and we're discussing Euros. Of course, this is part one, everybody. The next day, Jimmy Connor will join for betting tips and so much more. But we want to set the scene, give you your favorites, discuss the teams, and of course, any dark horses as this competition originally scheduled for 2020, 2021 in the summer. James Bench, I want to begin with you because I want to set the scene a little bit here. Okay, obviously, uh, this was a tournament that was meant to be throughout several nations in the continent. It's had to move a little bit for obvious reasons, COVID, et cetera. Can you give me just a, a general scene of what we can expect? What are these teams playing their games? So, I mean, it's still a slightly smaller version of the feast of continental football that Michel Platini dreamed up, uh, I think, over a decade ago now. The plan then was low-cost airfare would allow fans to travel around the world and, and be in grounds from Baku to, to Dublin. Not quite worked out like that. Most of our hosts are still in place, and we will have games in Baku, Rome, London, which will host the finals, um, Munich as well it just isn't going to be quite the same because obviously thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, no one can really travel anywhere and the stadiums are going to be more empty than full, but hopefully as the summer wears on, you know, as the vaccinations get up and running, we'll see more and more fans uh, in the ground up till those uh, semi-finals and that final in Wembley. Um, some cracking teams who could be making the trip over to London uh, and England will certainly be hoping to be one of them. 
Absolutely. JJ, I mean, we're discussing the venues and everything. You have more of a, a nose as well on the continental side of things. How's as are looking from France and, you know, the neighboring nations around there? Uh, are they planning a lot as a, as a tournament begins? Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone's very excited about it. I think it's very difficult to dampen uh, the excitement when it comes to one of the major international events. And obviously uh, everyone's appetite has been whetted by the fact that we've had to wait an extra 12 months for, for this to happen. But, uh, you know, obviously there is uh, a lot of expectation, a lot of excitement. It's it's a little bit different sort of uh, talking about it from a French point of view, because obviously there won't be any games being played in uh, France. You know, France will be traveling to Munich uh, to face Germany then they'll be going to Budapest uh, to face Hungary uh, before finishing up again in Budapest against Portugal so it's uh, uh, you know it's it's kind of a weird one um, for France uh, as, a, as a nation but you know obviously when big international tournaments come around especially when you're world champions uh, you know there is a lot of uh, expectation a lot of excitement and certainly in some of the the neighboring nations as well uh, you know there is a real sort of sense of, uh, of of hunger for this and I think something that's really helped as well is the fact that we've come out of you know a very long grueling season uh, and everyone, I think, has benefited from a couple of weeks, you know, sort of without much going on. Obviously, since the, the Champions League final, there's there's barely been any uh, major football being played. And I think, you know, that's now allowed everyone to switch into the into the Euro mindset. And, you know, it feels like everyone's ready now. Absolutely. I had, uh, by the way, from the preview, everybody on Kego Lasso Pod from obviously when the tournament gets going, you'll be able to hear. The recaps of the games and the previews of the following day will have Jimmy, James, and of course, JJ throughout it all. There's no end of weekend recap, week uh, Sunday night recap. So we're going Monday to Friday. And obviously, as the tournament closes in on the knockout stages, we'll give you plenty more. James Bench and Jonathan Johnson will be reporting as well. You can read all their content on CBS Sports. Follow them, uh, John underscore the gossip and James Bench as well on Twitter. All right, Bench, give me... Now let's talk about the teams. Let's talk about the groups. Uh, what can we expect from the first three groups? Who are they? What, what, what's going on there? A, B, and C. For Group A, you've got Turkey, Italy, who will be the strong favourites, I think, for this group. Um, we'll talk about, you know, the favourites of the tournament later. Wales and Switzerland. Quick, you know, boilerplate on that. It's quite a well-balanced group behind Italy. I think we've got four teams that we'll all be expecting to be in the knockout stages. Obviously, remember that in four of the six groups, three teams come out, um, but only four. Uh, third place teams go through the, the two with the worst record don't um, then diving across to group B a interesting maybe not the glamorous one uh, although I think some of their, their, their games are on ABC uh, in the US as well so Denmark Finland uh, Belgium and Russia a bit of a North European vibe to that um, Finland playing in their first tournament ever thanks to the goals of Norwich wonder striker Timu Puki all provided by Emmy Buendia of course. I'm so glad you brought that. <laughs> Don't want to hear another word about that player. And what um, do we have for Group C? Group C? Group C is quite an intriguing, odd uh, collection of teams. Austria, the David Alaba experience. Where is he going to play? North Macedonia, another tournament debut. And that means we're seeing Goran Pandev still going 37 years of age. Amazing. Taking the pitch for them. The Netherlands, um, Netherlands, at international competition, particularly Euros. I'm sure we'll come and talk about them. This could go anywhere for them. Uh, and then finally, Ukraine, uh, who I think are always the sort of team that we say, oh, you know, don't don't write them off, uh, but everyone just writes them off and ignores them. But they might be quite good this time around. Absolutely. Some very interesting groups in those first three. JJ, who do we have for group D, E and F? 
Well, D, I think, is definitely one of sort of the, the headline groups. There'll be a lot of eyes on the likes of England, Croatia, but Scotland, you know, returning to a major international tournament for the first time since I was a kid. Uh, you know, I'm kind of eager to see how they do, especially given the way that they qualified in such uh, dramatic circumstances. And then Czech Republic sort of bringing up the rear uh, in that group. And, you know, you you look at it, obviously, England, strong favourites to, to, to finish top, but sort of from with the other three, anything could really happen in there. You know, Croatia, obviously, we know they got to the, the World Cup final in 2018, but, you know, they've had a couple of off years since. Uh, you know, Scotland will be, you know, really motivated for this, especially having some uh, home games as well at, uh, at Hampden Park in Glasgow. Uh, and then Czech Republic as well. Okay, it's perhaps not their best vintage, uh, you know, but they, you know, they still can be uh, a, a solid and effective team, especially, uh, you know, when you have the likes of Thomas Suchek of, uh, of, of West Ham. and know he's a James Bench favourite and, uh, and he will be keeping his eyes on him. Uh, moving into Group E, so you've got Spain, Sweden, Poland, Slovakia. Uh, you know, and I think if you had to pick uh, your the, the three to potentially advance, it would be Spain, Poland, uh, and Sweden, perhaps even in that order. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, sort of who can put the most pressure on Spain, but also at the same time, I mean, and we'll get around to this later. You know, this not the same Spain uh, of old. Uh, so, you know, although there is an expectation that they will finish top of this group, there's not necessarily uh, you know, that many people placing them down uh, as tournament favourites, uh, as, as we would have done in previous years gone by. Then Group F, you know, this is the one that people are making out to be sort of the group of death. Uh, in The group uh, called, uh, oh, me, it's hard. Yeah. So you've got Portugal, France, Germany and Hungary. Now, this obviously, you know, is very uh, loaded, this group. You've got the world champions, France, who will be looking uh, to depose Portugal as European champions to hold both titles at the same time. And then Germany in this sort of unfamiliar role as, as the underdog of the group, given their, their, their massive drop in form over the last uh, couple of uh, years. You've got Joachim Love signing off after this tournament. Hansi Flick already announced as his successor. So obviously, Germany can potentially send him out on a high, but given the way that they've been playing over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, that's not necessarily looking like it's going to be the case. But then there's also an interesting dynamic in there as well, in that you've got Hungary and Budapest's Pushkas Arena is actually going to be one of the only venues where the entirety of the stadium can be filled. So that's going to make it a very difficult place uh, for teams like Portugal and France to go uh, and take on the Hungarians. So, you know, a lot to, to, to sort of unpack in that group, but three, uh, you know, three very interesting uh, groups of teams there. Absolutely fantastic. Great job, guys, on the lowdown on the groups. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will discuss our favorites and the dark horses. Who could make a few surprises? Stay right here because Kigo Lasso Euro 2020 preview part one. We'll be right back. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You're ready, Bob. Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome back, everybody, to Euro 2020 Preview Part 1 with James Bench, Jonathan Johnson. We are now talking our favorites. And, uh, boys, you know, this is uh, it's looking like a great tournament because there's so much talent everywhere. And you may think, oh, some obvious choices for favorites, but we're going to run it down, guys. Before we began recording, 
uh, the three of us were discussing our favorites. And, you know, Italy, of course, is going to be a force. Uh, Belgium, you can't discount Belgium, third best place team in the World Cup as well. The Netherlands, well, no, actually, we're not going to get to the Netherlands yet. England is a favorite, I believe, as well as France and Portugal. And then before that, after that, obviously, you got Spain and Germany with the reputations and obviously the talent that they have. And the Netherlands, we, we will see what, what kind of team they'll bring. So, Bench, after all those teams that we just mentioned, who are you looking at specifically as somebody that could really make an, an impact here? So, I mean, I, first of all, I, w- I would kind of point the, the, in you in the direction of Italy um, because they're a really, really solid team. It looks like Marco Verratti will be back in time for the opening game against Turkey, as JJ can attest from his time at PSG. Teams change a lot when Verratti is available and they've got a wonderful midfield, solid defence. They don't concede. They have, I don't think they conceded in their last eight internationals. But the team I really want to talk about because, well, one, I'm English, but also because I think they're the most intriguing and high variance team among the favourites is England. You know, Gareth Southgate going into this tournament, probably not knowing his best lineup, And actually, that's not a problem because he's going to have flanking Harry Kane, two from... Foden, Grealish, Sancho. No, no one talks about Jaden Sancho, one of the best players in Germany. Um, Rashford, Sterling, brilliant dilemma to have. Really excellent. Uh, you know, Grealish has been the star of the pre-tournament friendlies, but we've also seen, you know, Sterling has delivered for England. I think Sancho is, as I say, really underrated. And yet, I just don't see it happening for them. <laughs> I want to, you know. I mean, JJ, and I'm sure everyone who's listening remembers kind of just on social media what it was like in England in, in 2018 when they implausibly reached the World Cup semi-final. And this is a far better team than that. Uh, you know, the improvements across the board, a really young team that will go places, that has some of the you know best young players, Mank, Foden, that we've mentioned. But, I mean, firstly, there's, a, there's an issue in central defence, Harry Maguire's potential fitness. Uh, I think, you know, Luis, you know, Tyrone Mings isn't the best English defender at Aston Villa, but he's in the squad because he's left-footed. Connor Cody didn't have a great season, so it might be Ben White parachuted into the squad at the last minute, partnering John Stones. That's not great considering they've never played together. Croatia is a tough game. Um, Scotland will be a really hard game. You know that they're going to play five times better against uh, England than they do against any other opponent. Czech Republic are no scrubs. And yet somehow I think they're going to win all those games or top the group and then get knocked out in the next round because they have a horrible path to the final if they top the group. You know, they will play the second best team from Group F, which we'll come on to talk about. There's so many good teams there that are better than than England. And I just, I don't see, I just don't quite see it with this team. I think they maybe need a few more scars. They need a few more setbacks. Um, And then there's, you know, there's all the other stuff. I don't want to kind of talk too much about it, but there's a real toxic vibe building in the country right now about this taking the knee and the um, bad faith arguments being made against it. Uh, The idea that English football fans are protesting against Marxism when uh, the Conservative government has a majority in the dozens. It's nonsense. And it it is clearly affecting the players. You could see that. You could, you know, and when Bakayo Saka was asked to talk about it, you could see him visibly deflate. So I just don't think it feels like it's coming home, sadly. I would love that to be the case, but I, I think it's going to be a really hard route to the final. And I just don't quite think England have got the experience at tournaments just yet. Yeah, some, some really good points there. Go ahead, JJ. But are the singles flying off the shelves once again? 
Are people, <laughs> are, are people starting to come up with funny, amusing memes? Uh, of, oh, I've already done mine. They're already ready to go. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, great to hear it. I mean, I, when I think about England, uh, you know, I do think that they are one of the most talented teams, uh, squads coming into the tournament. You know, there is the, the the potential there to go on a deep run. But, I, you know, I completely uh, agree with, uh, with with James. You know, I do think that there is, you know, a potential sort of uh, trap element to, uh, you know, to, to this potential route to the final. Uh, I do think that that Scottish clash will probably be the most difficult of the group stage. There's quite a few kind of parallels uh, between this and uh, Euro 96 as well. Not, I'm not just talking about Phil Foden's hairstyle either you know coming up coming up against the Scottish uh you know sort of on UK soil you know that's a that that's a bit of a throwback and you know they when you're coming up against teams you know like Croatia who you know they do have the 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 pedigree in these international tournaments okay they've not had the best last couple of years since they managed to make it to the World Cup final but there's no sort of margin for error uh, in this for England because if they get off to a slow start against the Croats, they're immediately going to be up against it uh, when they come up against the, the the Scots. And it's, yeah, it's, I, I can see it potentially getting a bit sticky. I mean, are we really having a debate about whether Jack Grealish is going to be starting for England or not as well? I mean, yes. <laughs> he shouldn't be. He, I'm sorry, he shouldn't be. I'll be but that's only because Phil Foden is world-class no. and has done it in the Champions League. And, <laughs> there needs to be a world, James Bench, where both Phil Foden and Jack Grealish are in the same team. Jack Grealish and to um, listen, this has nothing to do with my Aston Villa, but please believe. <laughs> but the Euro, if Euro '96 taught us anything, is that Paul Gascoigne gave you that extra something that made the push to go as far as they could before, obviously the penalty shootout loss, uh, courtesy of the manager, by the way, uh, Gareth Southgate. Right? Jack Grealish gives you that. He gives you that extra. You have to be started. You just said he was the star of the pre-tournament before this. He, there has to be a world where both Phil Foden and Jack Grealish work together. There has to Someone's be. got to and run if, in behind. And if not, if not, then it's the same old story for England to your point. And that's what I truly believe in. What do you think, JJ? I think I someone's mean, got... Oh, go sorry, go. JJ. Go on. No, go, go for it. I, I, I think you need someone to run in behind. So you'll need one of Sterling Sancho Rashford... And then I don't think you can drop Mason Mount because I think he he allows that. I mean, you know, in, I think in the end, what will happen is Grealish will play some games, Foden will play others. And it's a brilliant dilemma to have. It's fantastic. Um, and you see how it goes as the tournament wears on. It may just be that one of them gets injured. It may be that one of them struggles for form. It's it's wonderful. But I I think, you know, what it's... England can will will be able to score whoever they put out up front. It's really going to be can they can they get that balance in midfield? Uh, you know, I think Phillips and Rice will probably start against Croatia. Does that give them enough ball movement? Declan Rice seriously underrated, and then that centre back pairing, whoever yeah, it is, your point at the back. I think yeah, to your point at the back, I think is going to be the, the other key point. Any final points on England, JJ? Before we uh, move on, no, I think we we've covered most of them at the moment. But I do think you know if it is sort of a toss-up between uh, Rashford, Sancho and Sterling. Really does feel like Sancho, uh, you know, has a has an advantage over everyone else. Jack Grealish included, you know, Rashford has been out of form now for, for a while and obviously all of the, 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 the eyes of the nation are always on him and not always just because of footballing reasons. Uh, you know, and then you've got Grealish who hasn't really played that much football over the last couple of months. Obviously, he was out for a long time, injured, and only came back to Villa towards the end of the, the season. So it does seem like it's set up 
uh, you know, to be a real opportunity for Jaden Sancho to seize and make himself, you know, one of the, the key men for this England side, because we've seen Sterling kind of fall out of favour uh, at City over the last couple of months after a drop in form. Yeah, absolutely right. All right, well, let's talk about some other favourites. JJ, I'll go back to you for a second. We have to talk about Le Bleu. My, I mean, I, I really feel like their third team could maybe get to the final. What's the sentiment in France and what do you personally think about France's chances? And then you, any other favourite for you? Oh, I mean, obviously in France, there is uh, a lot of confidence at the moment. There would be for any nation if they were able to boast the, the sort of team that France can put out. I mean, we'll see how they fare in their final prep, uh, preparation match against Bulgaria. But, you know, things seem to be moving in the right direction for them at the moment, looking at the way that they played against Wales the other day in the friendly. I think the chemistry uh, with Karim Benzema returning to the team, the way that he links up with Kidin Mbappe, with Antoine, Antoine Griezmann, you know, it's it's fascinating because they're all coming at this international tournament from completely different directions. Benzema is coming back into the international fold off the back of arguably his greatest club season. Uh, Griezmann's coming into it off the back of pretty much a train wreck of a season uh, with Barcelona. And then you've got Mbappe, who's had sort of half a good season, half a mediocre season, uh, where he really picked up after Maurizio Pochettino arrived at PSG. So it's, you know, it's a really interesting uh, vibe there. And that's that's just the attack. I think then if you go further back down the, down the pitch, it starts to get interesting because France, like Chelsea, are going to be so dependent on N'Golo Conte and his fitness. You know, he absolutely has to play and has to remain fit if if France are to be sure uh, of going on a deep run in this tournament. I think he's just, he's so integral. You know, there are so few players in the world like him and nobody comes close to, to, to doing that job as well as he does it. So it's interesting to see who might partner him and Paul Pogba in the midfield. Uh, you know, you've got Adrien Rabiot, you've got Corentin Tolisso. Neither of them really established, though, at international level. And then you look at the defense, uh, you've got, uh, you know, there's there's been question marks for quite a while uh, about the fullback positions. You know, Hugo Lloris as well, not exactly enjoying the best of times with uh, with Tottenham Hotspur at this moment in time. And Rafael Varane, you know, arguably one of his weakest seasons with Real Madrid for quite some time. So there is sort of a question mark about how secure that defense is. Obviously, the one of the heroes of 2018, Samuel Mtiti, is nowhere near the international setup these days because of uh, fitness issues. So, you know, there is a case uh, to be made for, you know, a, a, a newcomer like a Jules Koundé to, to come in and perhaps shore up that defense. You know, we've seen Presno Kimpembe not exactly look uh, convincing for PSG over the course of the season particularly in the Champions League. So, you know, there are still some question marks over this France team, despite the fact that they boast such impressive firepower. Bench, what do you think about France? Can they make it? I have no, I have no question marks over this France team. (laughs) It's like, this is like some, you know, it's like some kid on playing FIFA ultimate team, but just for a nation. Um, (laughs) They've got the best midfielder in the world in Kante, the best speedster forward in the world. I mean, you're gonna have to, you have, you're gonna have to fluke your way past them in the knockout stage. I think. I know they weren't, they didn't never quite set the world alight in 2018, but, and I know they'll be tested. Like Portugal, a really, really good team, but I think it's just it, only France can beat themselves. And yet, when we come to predictions, I'm not going to predict that France will win. But uh, I do think only France can beat this team. All right, so we've both discussed England, we've discussed France, uh, we we made some other names. Then who is your ultimate favorite i mean are we 
not doing Portugal justice right now uh, by not discussing them as much. Uh, Benj, back to you. Who who is your ultimate favorite? Would you see Portugal as being, you know, up there? Uh, is there an Italian team you mentioned higher them as well that could maybe make it? Who are you thinking of? Yeah, I in the, in the end I went I went for Portugal. It's when we talk about France, it's kind of quite hard to put your finger on what it is that you like about that I like about Portugal. A bit more other than I feel I, I mean to be honest, I think it's a France Portugal final. And I just feel like there there's maybe a little bit more cynicism, slightly more ability to play the dark arts, plus a string of players that can, you know, win the game from dead balls, can win the game from uh, you know, from one chance, you know, Fernandez. Uh I'm, I'm looking down the list now. Fernandez, Joao Felix probably won't get in the team, but can come off the bench. Can you imagine uh, some guy Joao called Felix Ronaldo. is probably not in the starting eleven? That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, not not because it's not surprising, but because of just the level of, you know, uh, you know, uh, quality that he's probably gone down a little bit, and also to the point of uh, Portugal's lineup. Give me some more names. I'm sorry, I interrupted. A uh, Bernardo, uh, and then also the other thing here is I I just think that the defense is a little less liable to to throw in an absolute shocker. Um, Diaz and Pepe, we know we know all about Pepe. Ruben Diaz, the best player in the Premier League this season. João Cancelo, not that far behind when he's on form. So. It's, I think it's just a team that I would trust a little bit more in a final. Um, we've seen that they can kind of, you know, this is a team full of winners. But for me, it comes down to those two games, I think it will be between Portugal and France, one in the group stage and then one in the final, I think. And I think Cristiano Ronaldo obviously will want to make a point, I guess. I don't know how, you know, how much, especially after a season of his own. JJ, how high do you rate Portugal on anybody else we haven't mentioned? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Ronaldo because I think that he's going to obviously be a massive factor. I mean, he always is when we've been talking about Portugal for the best part of the decade. But right now, given how disappointing his season was with Juventus, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of speculation about where his future might lie. Uh, it seems quite clear that it doesn't, uh, you know, necessarily uh, seem like he's going to be staying in Turin. But it's obviously an opportunity for him to remind everybody, you know, of the, the quality that still remains. I mean, OK, you know, he's not getting any younger, but he is still capable of, of bringing out those big moments and playing for his country seems to bring out the best in him. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, Paul Pogba, where he's a completely different player when he's, you know, playing for his national team. And I think as well, they'll be keen to defend their, their European title. I mean, dis despite the fact that it was what, you know, five years ago now, the Euros, you know, they are still defending continental champions. Uh, and I agree with with James as well. You know, there is sort of a cynical uh, element to this Portugal side that I don't think anybody else in, in Europe really has. Uh, I like the fact that we've mentioned Italy. I mean, I, I kind of feel like Italy are, are going to be playing the Germany role in this tournament where they seem to be the more consistent, you know, not not necessarily too many frills, but you know, they, they definitely seem to have a very solid uh, presence and I expect them to go far. But going back to Portugal, uh, you know, I do agree that France and Portugal are probably the favourites to be the top two in this group. And we'll just have to see what which Germany team turns up, uh, you know, and whether they can finish in the in the top three. Like I said, that home advantage for Hungary might play into their hands uh, if Germany are struggling. But, uh, you know, I do think this Portugal side, you know, they, they kind of have that experience as well. And that's uh, something that, although the majority of the French squad have, 
if Deschamps opts to bring in some slightly more inexperienced guys, uh, you know, I mentioned Kunde earlier, I mentioned Rabiot and, and Toliso, you know, also the fact that Benzema is coming back after nearly six years away, you know, that sort of plays with the chemistry a little bit and Portugal don't have any of those sorts of, uh, you know, issues. You know, we've seen France and Portugal go toe to toe in recent times in the Nations League and it was very, very close. So I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with James's shout uh, for a France-Portugal final. Yeah, interesting. By the way, our friend Fabrizio Romano is not that optimistic about his Italian side. He believes they still need a, a quality star that can help them. But, you know, uh, I'll, I'll let him know that, you know, we'll share a little bit more optimism than him himself. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. By the way, we haven't talked about Belgium. Uh, managed by our CBS Sports colleague, Roberto Martinez. James Bench, what do you make of I mean, Romelo Lukaku had a tremendous season. Uh, what's the latest on Kevin De Bruyne, by the way, after that uh, terrible injury in the Champions League final? Probably going to miss the first game, which is against Russia. Uh, but, he, you know, he will be, sounds like they're pretty optimistic he'll play a big role in the tournament. Um, you you can't count them out. They're a really talented group of players. I, with the exception of De Bruyne and Lukaku, I wonder if maybe their best period was three years ago. Uh, the defense is getting old now. I mean, Courtois is still excellent as well. <laughs> There's a lot of excellent players still, but Hazard, not the force he was three years ago. Mertens, you might argue, on the downslope. Aldeverod, Vermeilen, still the sort of starting centre backs. They're really good, um, and absolutely would not be a surprise if they won the tournament. But I'm not. You know, they are. If if France, Portugal, may, you know, the real strongest teams, that there may be a, a rung below with your with your Englands in that sort of level. Yeah. Well, let's end it, JJ, with two teams that uh, I'm sure uh, fans from these two nations are saying, why haven't you even talked about them? Well, we're going to right now. Germany and Spain, uh, previous World Cup champions, of course, uh, tremendous talent, but we're iffy on them a little bit uh, for obvious reasons. Talk to me a little bit about them. Yeah, and I think we can throw Netherlands into that mix yep. and make Netherlands it too as well. Yep. So with Germany, I mean, Germany, it's just such a strange dynamic because you've got a very talented squad there. Uh, and I really expect them to be much, much stronger in 2022 when Hansi Flick is in charge of this group. It's just at this moment in time, it seems like Joachim Löw has, has overstayed his welcome. Uh, and to be honest, I'm surprised that the German Football Federation uh, you know, really wanted Love to, to oversee this tournament because I feel that while he's in charge, this, this Germany team just is not going to play. Uh, you know, we've seen from them over the last 12 to 18 months some pretty poor performances, you know, with the the, the sort of lowest point coming against Spain in that, that humiliating defeat. And it's, it's, it's difficult to see, uh, you know, Germany coming out on top of France and Portugal in the group stage. And, you know, they sort of seem more likely that they're going to be fighting for that third place uh, behind France and Portugal with, uh, with Hungary. With Spain, Spain, there's, there's plenty of talent. I mean, I know that uh, it, it was a big headline topic, the fact that no Real Madrid players were selected. And then you've got the positive COVID test for Sergio Busquets. So now there's a, a, a bunch of players who have been basically put on alert and told to stay sharp because they might be drafted into the squad. Uh, you know, obviously that's going to be a bit of a distraction coming into the tournament. But, you know, Spain are always a very technical side, uh, you know, with a lot of players with, with you know, very gifted players. Uh, and, you know, I, I wouldn't completely rule them out. I'd just sort of have them more in that sort of dark horse um, 
section, you know, with, with some players who have got a lot of experience and a lot of talent. And, you know, I'd say the same for the Netherlands as well. My, my big question marks over Germany and the Netherlands are the impacts of their, their two respective coaches. You know, I think Luis Enrique will be able to get more out of Spain uh, than Love will be able to uh, with this German group uh, and, and De Boer with the Netherlands. To, to me, De Boer uh, is, is, is a train wreck of a manager these days. And it, I'd be stunned if, uh, if, if the Dutch really do anything that impressive in this uh, in this competition they have the players to do it i just feel like the the whole situation when ronald koeman uh, left to go to barcelona they needed a bit more time uh, and a more obvious candidate to take over and i think you know they went for whoever was most convenient in De Boer. Uh, and, you know, as we've seen since, it's not exactly, uh, you know, worked out uh, as they would have wanted. Yeah, texting Anwar Al-Ghazi that he's not in the squad is still better with me as well. I don't yeah, I mean, that, that was horrible. As, as a Villa fan, that was really uh, saddening. <laughs> James Bench out of Germany, Spain, and Netherlands. So who do you see going from? Um, you look at the path to the final. I do. The, the, the Dutch... Really? They have to manage themselves. They're best off just sort of going, you know, when Chelsea won the Champions League by basically ignoring Roberto Di Matteo. <laughs> just <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> just, you know, just have a go yourself. It's, you know, I, they've got the quality. Uh, the rest, I'm not. I, the one thing I'd say about Spain, they picked 24 players and I was looking down the list of players that missed out. There's some good players, Ramos, Canales. There's no one that you go, my God, why didn't you take them? I think that kind of is very odd for Spain when you remember what the squads were like a few years ago. Yeah, no Real Madrid players for the first time ever as well. And uh, even though there is experience, they do seem like a transitional team at this point. But, you know, we will see what happens. All right, let's finish, everybody, on our dark horses. Because, you know, we've been talking about the big boys and everybody thinks that, you know, it might be the same old story, but there are some nations here that are super interesting. JJ, let's begin with you. Give me a team here that everybody should be paying more attention to. Well, I'm going to go for Turkey. Uh, you know, having seen the way that they've played at international level since the beginning of the year, there's, there's just something about them uh, and this current dynamic that makes me feel that, you know, they could go on another deep run. I mean, Turkey are one of those interesting teams that when they actually manage to qualify for international tournaments, they generally tend uh, to, to to play well, to produce some memorable performances and quite often feature in the, the, the most unexpectedly chaotic uh, encounters of the tournaments as well. I re fondly remember a, a, a very dramatic Turkey-Croatia uh, from a few years back. And obviously, uh, you know, the Turkey side that finished third in the 2002 World Cup in Japan and South Korea as well. But I'm basing my prediction uh, on three particular players in the in the Turkey squad. You've got Burak Yilmaz, Yusuf Yazici and uh, Zeki Celic. You know, they've had such a phenomenal season with Lille managing to be crowned French champions. I mean, Burak Yilmaz, it's just incredible what he's done. It's kind of like the, the footballing equivalent of Green Day when they reinvented themselves with American <laughs> idiots. Just, Love that. It, honestly, it was to, to see a player in, in his mid-30s who was basically dragged from obscurity contemplating retirement uh, i mean to be to be honest if you delve a little into his personal story as well it's also incredible that you know he and his his wife of, of however many years split up and then you know he's come back to this he's, he's almost come full circle getting remarried and and all of this stuff it's 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 kind of like a major rebirth for Burak Yilmaz and I just feel that when you have somebody like that somebody who can be that talismanic 
can score from anywhere. I mean, if you see some of his goals that he scored this season in Ligue 1, they're just incredible, particularly the one against Lens towards the end of the campaign. When you've got a player feeling that sort of confidence, uh, you know, and this squad that they've managed to assemble, which, you know, kind of finally looks quite solid, especially in the defence. Uh, you know, there's only really sort of a question mark over the left back because he plays in the second tier in France at this moment in time. But otherwise, it's, you know, it's quite a talented uh, squad with a little bit of depth as well and a very canny uh, coach. So, you know, there is a feeling that, uh, you know, Senor Gunez could lead this Turkey side on a deep run. I'm not saying that they're going to go all the way and win it, but it really wouldn't surprise me, uh, you know, if Turkey win over, you know, quite a few uh, neutral fans this summer. I love it. Love it. Turkey. All right, Benj, uh, who do you have as uh, your dark horse? Well, Luis, you were mentioning the big boys. Now, this is the big boys team. Denmark, absolute giants to a man. This <laughs> Literal team. big boys, yeah. My my giant as a six foot two man, I love this team. And because you know, we all I think we all, you know, think about, you know, yes, our oh, France have got these wonderful attacking players that can string together these beautiful moves that can cut through teams in a moment. You know, Fernandez and and Ronaldo, they can do, you know, magic for, for Portugal, Sancho, blah, blah, blah. You know what, man? You know what wins football matches? Having a really good free kick taker and lots of tall people in a penalty area to head the ball into the net. That's a little bit of a simplification of what Denmark are. But what they basically, the strengths here are an incredible collection of centre-backs. Anderson, Vestergaard, Kier, Christensen, all had really good seasons, I believe. Um, Christian Eriksen on the comeback trail. Remontada season a bit in the second half of the year for, for Eriksen. Strong defensive midfielders behind him, whether it's Delaney, Hoibjerg. And then, look, more tall boys up front. Give me Yusuf Paulson, six foot four. This is all I need. I just need to spam a few crosses into the box. One good header. And then we, we keep a clean sheet at the other end. Denmark are my new team. I've literally decided this over the course of this monologue. I really like them. I think they're going to go quite far in this tournament. Um, and, you know, I will be celebrating with a Danish pastry come July the 12th when they are lifting the European Championships once oh. more. I love it. I love it. Uh, and they have a group to do it. I mean, we've talked about Belgium's uh, decline and, you know, Finland's first ever Euro, Russia. They, they could do it. Listen, I have strong feelings with Denmark just because of the World Cup and when Peru lost to them. But I, to your point, very, very good team. I'm going to give you, boys, Scotland. Scotland are, I'm telling you, they're giving me so many, not just because of Super John McGinn, Jonathan Johnson, but Scott McTominay in there. I mean, Che Adams can get a few goals there. I mean, I just think that they're a team to watch. Kieran Tierney, James Bench. I mean, this is a team. Love him. This is a team, Jonathan Johnson. Scotland, could, could they do something here? Oh, they can definitely boogie, that's for sure. I mean, this, uh, <laughs> I, I really... I, th I think so much is going to play, uh, you know, on the way that they handle themselves in, you know, the... The the big games, well, what I what I would consider the big games in this group against England and Croatia, and you know, from what I've seen from this Scottish side over the last year and a half, you know, I definitely think that they have uh, a, a solid enough group to you know to to be targeting that that second place. I, I don't think that they're going to snatch top spot, but then again, you don't really have to. Uh, you know, when you can potentially get through as as, as one of the top three, it's not really that important. Uh, you know, and I think that because they've been out of the international picture for so long, 
they're probably one of those sides that I mean, okay, their their opponents know that they're going to be at the tournament, but they won't have paid too much attention to them. And I, I definitely agree. I think that they could take a few people by surprise. And you know, we're, like I was saying earlier, Croatia haven't really been the same force uh, that they that they were at the 2018 World Cup. You know, and we could see somebody like Scotland, you know, taking them by surprise and, and ending up, say, finishing second to England. But I do think that so much, uh, you know, both for Scotland and for England's uh, group stage uh, showings will depend on the, on that showdown clash. Benj, thoughts on Scotland? I, I love this team, mostly because of Kieran Tierney, but so many really fun players. I mean, you know, JJ made reference to it there. They're just a team that's having loads of fun. And we saw five years ago with Wales, what a team that enjoys spending time together can do. I'm also looking at, you know, I'm obsessed with these, these routes to the final. It's my big thing. If they finish third, they would get the winner of group C, the group of scrubs. Um, and it just rolls from there. If you finish second as well, you get a relatively favorable draw against whoever finishes second in group E. And I just, you can see the momentum building for them. Having said that, having said all of that, we've all seen train spotting. We all remember what happens to Scotland at major tournaments. It goes wrong somehow in hilarious fashion. I'm no little Englander at all, but it might be quite funny if it, if there's a repeat of that for Scotland. Well, I mean, if this doesn't give you enough Euro 96 vibes, I, I don't know what does. And by the way, watch out for Callum McGregor, right? This uh, The midfielder from uh, Celtic. He's East Fund. It's just going to be, this is going to be a great tournament. So please tweet us, Pod. I want to know who your favorites are, who your dark horses are, who you think is going to win it all. And that was part one of Euro 2020. Final thoughts before we say goodbye on this great tournament as it begins Friday night. Jonathan Johnson. I'm just very excited for it to get underway, obviously, and uh, looking forward to being with you guys over the course of the next month or so to discuss it all. Absolutely right. James Bench. Uh, really important final thoughts. You're going to hear It's Coming Home a lot uh, from everyone England related. It's what it's not even the best England song, as we all know, World in Motion from Italian 90. It's not even the second best British song. You go and find... Together Stronger, Manic Street Preachers, Euro 2016 Wales song, the greatest tournament song ever written. It will be blaring out across the Bench household for the next month. And then my girlfriend will be leaving me. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That was it. Thank you so much, everybody. JJ, thank you, bud. Oh, thanks a lot, guys. Been a pleasure uh, as always. And uh, looking forward to the next one. Bench, thanks so much, man. My pleasure. Everybody, I want to thank Jonathan Johnson and James Bench for joining me today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Pod, and send us a question or comment. Also, we are on Spotify. Follow us on Spotify. We're also on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher, YouTube. You can watch us on youtube.com forward slash Lasso and make sure that you press that subscribe button. We're on CBS Sports, cbsports.com, and so much more. Plenty more to come. We hope you enjoy the Euro 2020 Championships. You can follow it with us. Every single match they have a great, great rest of your day.